So what are we talking about this week, Shauna? This week on the show, we're going to talk about the phenomenon of nice white triathletes. Ooh, exciting. Stay tuned after the break if you want to learn what that means and why there is a danger in being nice, white, and passive. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So Shauna, I was listening to this um, podcast because uh, I am a fan of podcasts, shocker, and um, it's called Nice White Parents. Um, have you heard of it? Yes, I have. I had a colleague of mine tell me about it and I started listening. So I'm about three episodes in at the moment. Okay. It's really great. Um, and so as is often the case, my brain acts like a bit of a popcorn machine. And um, I'm listening to this podcast and I'm thinking, oh my God, this is so relevant to triathlon. And so I think I like hastily texted you. I was like, we have to do an episode on nice white triathletes, um, to which you were very excited about. Um, because it just feels like there are so many nice white triathletes in the sport of triathlon. And I think that that can sometimes be challenging when we're trying to have some tough conversations. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's so bland, right? It's, it's so bland where I, I remember listening to the first couple of episodes of the podcast. And what was so interesting to me was how uncomfortable everyone sounded on the podcast. Like anytime a question was asked, you could tell like their mouth was smiling or doing something to kind of trying to think through what they wanted to say. If it was the right thing to say, I just thought it was so interesting that they were really thinking through what can I say that won't rock the boat very much, that won't upset anyone? Um, maybe not the politically correct thing to say per se, but they definitely were thinking through how to be um, as least offensive as possible to whoever's listening. And I thought that's a whole lot of thinking. Like that doesn't even sound natural to me. You're going to offend someone. You're going to say something that might not be quite right. But, you know, do you really want to kind of live this safe parenting life and, you know, it applies to triathletes as well. Do we want to live this kind of safe life that we're just in this space? We're kind of very vanilla in our approach to everything. It, it was really applicable to what I've seen in triathlon. And I think that um, it's gendered also, right? Like they don't talk about that explicitly in the podcast, but that nice is something that girls and women are taught to be, right? That it's really important to be polite and be friendly and smile and don't say anything too quote unquote aggressive. Um, and so you had a lot of in the, you know, a lot of nice white mothers who were particularly in favor of integration. This was, you know, the context of the podcast is talking about middle schools and integration in New York city. And so you had a lot of these white women who were really interested in that. Um, and they were being very nice about it, but then ultimately kind of ended up shying away from integration, you know, because they were yes. scared or didn't understand or felt like the school an integrated school would not provide their child with as good enough education. Um, so it was curious to me that one of the folks they featured early in the series was a guy right a nice a nice white guy who raised all that money and wanted to do french which has nothing to do with triathlon but mm -hmm. i was thinking about it that it's pretty gendered and i do see that 
I see that gendered breakdown in triathlon actually. Like when I think about nice white triathletes, I am Im- I immediately kind of like drop into nice white yeah. women triathletes more than I drop into nice white men triathletes. Not that there are not nice white men triathletes, right? But that's kind of the the way I think about it. Yeah. Well, and doesn't it have like something to do with like the aggressiveness, you know, based on gender, because, you know, women aren't really seen to be aggressive and, you know, even in triathlon to ride hard, like very rarely do we say a woman is riding hard or riding fast or what have you. It's more so, Oh, well she was quick or, you know, the language is still kind of watered down a little bit. And so, you know, to me, I thought it was just interesting that, you know, all these niceties of tiptoeing around a topic. And I think we do similar things in triathlon where we kind of tiptoe through things, um, even as far as how we describe female winners, you know, some of it is very tiptoe-ish. And I, I'm like, I don't want to tiptoe around a topic. You know, why can't a woman be just as aggressive? Um, oftentimes, though, if a woman is described as more aggressive in certain ways, then their gender or their sexual orientation is now starting to be questioned because they're Mm -hmm. aggressive or because they ride hard or because, you know, I I think all of that is, you know, kind of folded in and it's kind of sad that aggressiveness is seen as negative, uh, a negative descriptor for women, but it's just par for the course for the guys. Why is that? And I don't think it needs to be that way. Um, But, but it is that way, especially with, you know, serious competitors. Um, now, age groupers, maybe, but definitely for the pros, it, it's definitely there. Mm-hmm. And how that niceness then spills over, like you said, into a fear of not wanting to say anything that could be offensive. Or so <laughs> you've got kind of, yeah, you've got that piece. You've got this kind of white fragility happening, um, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll talk more about white fragility in future episodes, but that's happening, I think. And then there's that over, that gender overlay, right? Around mm-hmm. women's socialization, around being nice. And right. so then you have um, nice white triathletes who just kind of articulate this message of colorblindness mm-hmm. um, and that, of course, triathlon's inclusive. I'm nice to everyone. Like people are so friendly in triathlon, right? And mm-hmm. then you just, it's like a sidestepping of the larger issue, which comes back to your point of just the trepidation of talking about race yeah. for nice white triathletes is so overwhelming that then we never address the problem. Well, and, and then the, the niceness kind of mask over everything else. So, you know, Yes, you're nice, but you also went back to your car and you have a rebel flag on the back. You know, you're nice, but you're really pissed off that we talked about Black Lives Matter. Or you're nice, but you also saw that other triathlete that knelt, um, you know, they went on one knee during the national anthem before the race and you gave them the side eye. But you're nice. And so nice, you know, is it really nice? I mean, to me, it's kind of like uh, nice is kind of civility like in in certain areas most people don't want to use the word civility anymore because the niceness prevents you from talking about the real topics so it's kind of like being a keep a peacekeeper versus a peacemaker you know let's keep the peace let's not dig into the issues like the complete opposite of what this podcast is all about is niceness basically and then you know we never get into the deep-rooted topics and so here we are still spinning around all the isms, racism, sexism, all the isms, because we're too busy being nice. We, we just stay there. Right. So it's, it, there's no movement with niceness. No. Right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So if we had to explain to our listeners uh, 
who falls into this category of nice white triathletes? Like what are the, mm-hmm. what would be some key identifiers do you think? Mm, interesting. Well, I think a lot of folks, well, let me just share my experience in what six, almost seven years of triathlon world. Um, usually if they see triathletes of color congregating together, they don't necessarily want to interrupt, but yet they are so excited, you know, especially for those that are interested in diversity and inclusion, they are excited you're there, but they're not quite sure what to say. So they want to see race, but they don't want to make it a big deal. Like, oh my God, it's special for you to be here, but yet it's not, but yet it is. So there's this confusion um, on their faces around that. Um, I think too, what's really interesting is this has happened more than once to me that just because there are multiple people of color at a triathlon, that does not mean that we automatically already know each other. Okay. Every black, black triathlete in the world doesn't know each other. It's an assumption that they do. It's so interesting. And so, you know, they might try to make a connection. Oh, well, do you know X, Y, Z? No, I don't know them. Yes, I realize they're black, but I don't know who they are, but they assume that I do. Um, So some of that is the nicety. Um, And, you know, then too, I think what's interesting is the niceness around, you know, hey, do you want to swim with me? Do you want to start the swim course with me? As if black triathletes are nervous around the swim or that we don't have the skill sets or, you know, there, there are always some things that happen around the swim that are very nice. And so (laughs) given that there, there's just so many things I can think of in just a race environment that lends itself towards this overly niceness that really doesn't get down to the real issues of what's going on. Yeah. It feels a bit like, um, the, the overlooking of the overlooking of diversity, right? So it's, I'm surrounded by white people, but I don't actually notice that there are no folks who look different than me there. Or if I do notice, I assume they know each other or, um, (laughs) you know, or I'm nervous to engage because Mm -hmm. that might be, that might be problematic in some way. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Well, and there's even been nice people. I have one of my really good friends. um, She she was doing her very first full iron. She was one of a handful of black people that were racing as athletes. And someone was very nice to her, but someone was very nice to her during the run and thought that she was a volunteer instead of an actual athlete. She's eight miles away from the finish of her first full iron, which is like a major life accomplishment. And someone assumes that she's a volunteer when she's been training for six months to make this happen. And so it was a nicety that they approached her and said, hey, can you help me with this? Or what? I don't have time to help you. I'm trying to get to the finish line before midnight. Okay, I've got stuff to do here. I'm a little busy. And so, you know, niceties come up often. And so, you know, I wonder sometimes if there's really been any thought behind this, like, why do you approach people the way you do? Um, Can we still see race and differences um, and be okay with it without looking so awkward? It's it's just really an awkward experience, um, especially for white folks that aren't used to having a lot of diversity around them. Now, I will say, depending on the race and depending on the area of the country, it's more diverse in some areas than in others. But, you know, I can go down countless lists of races that I've been to that have had 2000 or more athletes there. And I could still count how many people of color that I at least saw or perceived. That's clearly not enough. And so how comfortable are the white folks there that are racing with us? And how does that affect how they interact with us? That, I think that's a viable question to ask. Well, and then articulating that 
what you notice, right? Like I've noticed that there's 2000 athletes and six of them appear to be people of color. And so saying something about that versus not saying something about it, because then you might be considered antagonistic or difficult or, um, uh, you know, like causing trouble. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think causing trouble is not a bad thing. And, um, John Lewis recently, Um, Mm -hmm. passed away and his phrase, right? You've probably heard a lot about it, good trouble. I think that there's a lot of legitimacy in that. And so how can we shift people from being nice white triathletes to being, um, to causing some good, good trouble in triathlon, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, and most of the time, you know, a lot of people don't say that whole quote, it's good trouble, but he also said necessary trouble. And so, you know, what does that mean when you need to do some necessary troublemaking around, like, even with the marketing of races, you know, one of my favorite um, race companies, they've now started to think very critically about how they're marketing races. So, you know, if I look on your Facebook page, and you are the race director um, of an organization, and every single picture that I see happens to be a white person, it's it's not um, uncommon, but yet, how does that happen exactly? And I thought about this, this is in retrospect, two and three years ago, I believe, um, where I was at a race of over 2000 folks. I know I was one of many black triathletes, Latinx triathletes, etc. And when I see the marketing of the very same race, and I don't see any of the people of color that I raced with, then you've made a conscious effort to exclude certain people. And why is that? Why isn't your eye looking for more diverse folks? I don't know. But I, I think it's something to be said when you're just, you know, you're, you're complicit in this big system that you, you don't even know you're in. And now you have to start calling it out. I know black people were there. I was on a team of 45 black triathletes. But yet when I go through the marketing of the very same race on the Monday morning, as I'm recovering, I don't see any one of us there. That's not by happenstance. Yeah. And you're noticing that, right? But who else is? Mm, yeah, that's true. That's very true. I mean, I, I, sadly, when I get to a race, I usually can count how many people of color I think I see. But if I can count, then there's not enough. So where are they? And how are we marking towards those folks and reaching out to them and including them? You know, there, there needs to be some type of, just like we have systemic racism, we have to have some type of systemized way of including folks. And if that's not happening, then we're going to end up with the same numbers. And that's where I think niceness can be dangerous, right? Because this whole kind of almost like um, conflation of niceness and not talking about race, right? Like if you talk about race, then you're not nice. So therefore, if I want to be nice and that's how I want people to perceive me, I'm not going to talk about race, So therefore then we just, the status quo is perpetuated. And I think, yeah, go ahead. You're getting, but you're getting to a good point though, around the race piece of things. I think people, when people hear the language of race, they automatically assume that it's the exact opposite of niceness because we're probably talking about racism or racist. We're not talking about race and how it impacts what we do. And so people's brains automatically go to this defensive mode of, uh uh-oh, if we're talking about race, then we're probably talking about racism. That means we're also talking about racist. And I don't want to talk about racist because I don't want to be part of that group. So let's just not talk about the topic at all. Let's just completely avoid it all and be nice. And that's my great diversion to this big topic that we don't want to handle. 
Right. Like as though being nice inoculates you from living in a system of white supremacy where we've, <laughs> we've all grown up believing that whiteness is superior, right? So on some level, every single one of us um, has enacted either verbally or in other actions, like some version of racism. Mm-hmm. Um, so being nice doesn't like step you outside of that system. Like I definitely have been there. I definitely have been there as a white person. Like in terms of, I am just nice to everyone. Cause I hear this rhetoric a lot, right? Like be respectful, be kind, be nice. And they're not bad things that parents should tell their children. Right. But then I think how that has then inhibited my ability over the years to really talk about whiteness white supremacy and racism and my role continued role in upholding some of those systems Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well you know there it goes once again that you know folks don't want to talk about the systems either um once we get past the point of saying to people very clearly the majority of you are not racist However, here's this big old racist system that we're all in, and all of us are complicit in it in some way if we benefit as a white person. So, you know, it's the whole, let's talk about this whole system. And folks really, they don't even get to that. I I always call that like graduate school, like 301, because we're so busy fighting over who's racist and who's not, and let's shut the conversation down that we never get to the whole system. And that's really where the big problems lie, because the whole system keeps things in place, like you were saying. It just bolsters and strengthens the problem. Um, and so, you know, that, I, I almost want to say that the, the niceness is, is in and of itself the bad behavior. Like, you know, mm-hmm. usually we think of, you know, these very overt racist with slurs and symbols and all these other things that are very overt. Look, I appreciate that. I, I've been in situations where it was either a race situation or a training situation where I'm out riding and, you know, I might see, you know, a Confederate flag or I might see um, a a sign for a particular candidate that I don't necessarily connect with. Um, And all of that might be out. And I'm very concerned as a cyclist, as a black cyclist. And still, I'm yet thankful because at least I know what to look for and where to look for it. So I know where it is. The challenges that I can't see, which is covered by niceness, that's more of the problem because I know a lot of very nice racist. I know a lot of very nice sexist and they're hard to dig up until you look at more of their behavior. But that's, those are the folks that I'm more scared of because I know that they're out there somewhere, but I don't know how to either avoid them or maneuver in ways that kind of disempower them. If I know that someone has a Confederate flag, I can either make a choice of riding there or not riding there. If I don't know and you're being nice to me and then, you know, three months later, I look on your Facebook page and, this, and you're the same white lady that was extremely nice to me at my race and I find out that you don't like people who look like me on your Facebook page, that's more insidious and more difficult to find and dig out and uproot and even avoid. It's harder when you can't, it's almost like that movie, The Invisible Man, like you can't see your opponent. So you don't know how to maneuver. I want to see you. I want to see exactly where you are. So, you know, it's, it's a lesser of two evils, but where are you? And if I know where you are, then I know how to maneuver as a black person. Yeah. That niceness, um, papers over, um, a lot of the microaggressive behavior. So microaggressions being kind of small paper cuts that are verbal or otherwise, um, 
that can be really harmful, but are so commonplace that people who don't experience the microaggression don't notice them, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just, you know, those small things, the, and they're in everyday life, you know, the, the, my favorite one, I mean, I think that's the one I hear more often than not is, oh, you're so well-spoken that that is like the one I hear constantly. And I'm thinking to myself, I better be well-spoken. I got $300,000 worth of brains in my head from all this schooling. I better be able to say something quite well. I mean, it, it should not be like by default that someone should assume that I would not be able to be well-spoken. So, you know, those types of things happen relatively often and we see it in triathlon as well, when you have those microaggressions around, you know, the swim or are you an athlete or are you a volunteer or a family member or, you know, those types of things that happen throughout that process, whether it's training or whether it's racing, it happens constantly and it wears down. It really wears down on you. Um, and so that's why I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, certain areas of the country, even certain races attract more people of color there because they know that there's, you know, there's power in numbers. They know they're going to be greeted and welcomed. It's not just going to be a, a formality of, oh, you happen to be here. Um, but there's, there's an entire system based on that race that really welcomes you. And I think that's important to have and to think through how can the industry be more welcoming and start tearing down some of these systems that are in place. Mm -hmm. So niceness, you know, in the context of triathlon or more broadly endurance sport and gosh, even more broadly than that, the world, right? Niceness is a major impediment to addressing some of these problems, big and small. Um, So I, so I think, you know, at this point we need to think through what's the, converse of the niceness you know what would we want to label it as because we're not saying we don't want people to be kind but what we are saying is that sometimes the niceness I love that papering over analogy that you gave that you know what's the converse of that if you're not nice then you're fill in the blank whether it's aggressive whether it's um, candid there, there has to be some alternative to it if not we're just going to continue perpetuating the same problems of niceness and that's where I think we fall back into the trap that we talked about at the beginning of the show with gender, right? So if we're in, particularly if we're encouraging women, white women to ditch the niceness and um, step up and speak out a little bit more, then they start to get um, different kinds of attacks, right? Oh, yeah. um, that doesn't mean to say that we shouldn't stand up and that's absolutely true for all women, certainly, but it, it, it lands differently on different women based on their racial identities and stereotypes around that, certainly. But um, yeah, so we're encouraging women or stepping back from women, we're encouraging white triathletes to stand up and notice, right? And then say something about it mm-hmm. and recognizing that certainly that doing so is not fraught, um, is fraught with complication, but that's not a reason to not do it. Um, right, right. Well, and that, that complication and that resistance, you know, there's going to be some resistance like, you know, hey, we're out here having a good time. Why are you bringing this up? You know, why are you bringing this uncomfortable thing up? Um, why are you bringing this uncomfortable topic up? And, you know, I think that's where people of color, certain people that are of oppressed backgrounds and so forth, we're like, 
thank you, white people. And the reason why we're saying thank you, white people is because we do it all the time. What do we call it, Lisa? Racial battle fatigue, where we're tired of fighting the good fight all the time because we live it and we do it. Can we please take a break from having to be the first one to bring up, oh, we don't see any people of color in your marketing. Oh, we don't see really hardly any people of color at your race or the people that are in charge of your organization there, there are no people of color in leadership or in management in your organization when it comes to endurance sports. We, as people of color, get tired of talking about it. We get, even though we know it's still true, we know the fight still continues, but we often end up being the first voice and we get tired of being the first voice. And so let other people be the first voice and fight that good fight. Yes, there's going to be some resistance. There's going to be some, again, nice white folks, nice white triathletes that don't want to talk about it. And when you do just know that it's going to be very uncomfortable and that resistance is going to be there. Is it important enough to you to keep pushing past the resistance? Hopefully it is. Hopefully, you know, you care about your fellow triathletes of color who have to deal with this on a regular basis. Those of us that you know, get followed by trucks and get exhaust in our face and all these other things because people are ignorant sometimes, you know, we, we get tired of, of having to deal with that on a regular basis or being, you know, calling in and calling out when you go on a ride because you're going into a new area that you're not really familiar with. Talking to a friend to say, hey, is it really safe for us to ride in that area or run in that area? We get tired of fighting that fight every day. And so when white folks take on the challenge of doing some of that um, on our behalf as allies, then of course it's going to come up with some resistance. Of course, there's going to be some folks that either either don't agree with your sentiments at all or don't agree with you having to take up that fight. Let somebody else take up the fight, whoever that somebody else is. I'm doing air quotes right now. Who is somebody else exactly that's supposed to take up that fight? That all of that, it's major challenges uh, to being an ally, but that, that's what's required. And I think that um, that what you just articulated gets forgotten by white people a lot, that standing up in a particular scenario and saying, this doesn't seem right, this doesn't look right, um, I'm not going to be all nice about it, um, can feel uncomfortable. Maybe there are some consequences for you for doing that, but you don't have to live with that every single day of your life, like every hour of the day, um, every year, every month, right? Like every day that you get up, that's not something that you have to think about and take a big kind of deep breath and like go out into the world knowing that you're going to face all of those um, macro and microaggressions as a white person, right? Um, like that's not a plane upon which you're going to experience that. So stepping up in those individual moments, yeah, it's uncomfortable. Certainly I can attest to feeling discomfort around that. And I get to go home and you know, turn on the TV, see a bunch of people that look like me, forget about it, like not have to think about my race, not have to think about the fact that tomorrow I have to get up and do it all over again because I don't, because I have a choice. Um, right. And I do think that that's really powerful and important for yeah. uh, white triathletes, white athletes to understand um, and to kind of push past that niceness and to not think that niceness is a proxy for anti-racist right? Mm. Like it's, it's not. No, not at all. Not at all. Well, and niceness, I mean, we've talked about this many times and, and my, my best 
analogy for the niceness is, you know, it's jumping into that pool, you know, or jumping into that river, or jumping into that, um, that lake, and maybe you're in a current, and when you get out, well, you're still wet, even though you didn't do anything, you jumped in and you jumped out. It's the same thing with racist systems, and even when it comes to sexist systems, you're in an entire system, and if you're just sitting there not doing anything and floating about, that doesn't mean you're not wet. You are wet. And so what does that mean when we have now been called to do better? <laughs> let, well, let me take a step back. Not just do better, do something do something, whatever that something is. Um, we all are quite privileged to be a part of the triathlon community, but what does that mean when you just show up and you benefit off of your own privileges? You don't speak up to what you see. Um, you may not interrupt certain people's behavior and you're still part of that system. And so how do you start really stepping up? It really takes activism. And I know that sounds like a cliche word and we've talked about John Lewis, but it does mean that you can't afford to just sit there. <laughs> um, and so what are you going to actually do? Um, and so niceness, well, maybe we're onto something, Lisa, because niceness may be that floating motif, the niceness of, I don't have to do anything. I just have to show up and that's about it. The antithesis of being nice is how are we going to push? How are we going to challenge people? How are we going to make people purposely uncomfortable? So they now have to think about how vanilla and entire community is. And I'm not talking about race. I'm just talking about the same, all the sameness that we, um, that some people enjoy um, in the triathlon community. And so, you know, we say welcoming. Well, what does that mean? Is that, is that active welcoming or passive welcoming? What is it exactly? Well, and also for me as a white person to say, you know, I feel like triathlon is a really welcoming space is a, a position that's, you know, through my worldview, right? Because like when I walk into a group of triathletes at a race, like that's a very different experience to a person of color. I mean, I feel it as a woman, right? Because we know that women are represented, uh, less represented in triathlon. So I have some window onto that, but it's, it's not the same, um, but it's kind of right. adjacent, I suppose. Um, and so I would encourage you all who are, you know, listening to this uh, discussion, this podcast, if you think about, or conceptualize triathlon as a welcoming space. And therefore, if it's welcoming, it must be inclusive because people are nice and nice people are therefore inclusive. Like that's not a linear, uh, that's not a linear trajectory, right? I don't right. think you get from um, welcoming to inclusion with like, you know, a side of niceness. Like I, I don't <laughs> think that that really is a thing. <laughs> I really, we have to like, yeah, we have to kind of cut away at that a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I think being active or being an activist is definitely key to it, but you know, the opposite of nice, I think that's really what we need to get at and kind of flesh it out more. It's, you know, what does it mean to be kind of a, a, a rabble rouser, if you would, like I've, I've seen, I've seen white folks fight over the refund for a canceled race harder than they fought over inclusion in, tri in triathlon. I mean, literally. So if you can be aggressive about certain things, then you can be aggressive about other things. Um, it may be comfortable for you to fight over your, your money that was hard earned to pay for a race, but it's going to be uncomfortable for you to fight for a group of people that um, you're not a part of that group, but you still care that they're included and welcomed in the space. You know, where is the gumption? You know, where is the, the energy coming from? Um, 
and are you willing to sustain it over time? So it's not just, oh, let me just do this once. Let me ask this question once. But, you know, you're going to have to be the consistent rabble rouser in many small and large ways. So how do you get that done? You know, it takes a, a good bit of energy. Um, some people may see that it's not their responsibility because they feel as if they weren't complicit in this structural racism that was created. Um, and, and you may not be part of what built it, but you are a beneficiary of it. You, you get the benefits of it. So what does it mean if you're very serious about including fo folks in endurance sports? You know, you're going to have to put some energy into it. Okay. I have like a, a, a point of, um, it's not, it's not exactly a rabbit hole, but it's a connected thing or something you said. So the Ooh, book by yes. is the book by Isabel Wilkerson cased that I think we're going to talk about later down yes. the road, but mm -hmm. she talks about how there's a, um, a lot of white people say, I had nothing to do with slavery. My ancestors had nothing to do with slavery. I don't believe in slavery. I don't perpetuate that now. Right. And she argues that, well, when the house, the United States was built, um, obviously slavery was a foundational element of the United States <clears throat> at its inception. And while slavery doesn't exist now, it's, um, it's eroding the foundations of the United States. And so um, when you buy a house, right? You don't buy the house and then learn that there's like a foundational floor, right? There's like, maybe your house is tipped or there's a huge crack in the ceiling or something. You don't go, oh, well that happened before I got here. So I'm uh, not, go I'm not going to yes. fix it. I'm not going to fix it. Right? right. So she does this really good comparison and essentially like, sure, you weren't around during slavery. Sure. Maybe your um, ancestors didn't own slaves. However, this is the house that you live in. And there's a big crack in it um, and it's your responsibility now to fix it so that the house doesn't crumble. And I see that rel relevance to triathlon, right? So when triathlon began, um, it was exclusively white, right? So the house of triathlon was built by and for white people. And while a nice white triathlete now entering the sport wasn't involved back in the um, mm -hmm. 70s and 80s, right? They are now occupying the house that has some cracks in its foundation. And so as white people, I think we do have a responsibility, even though we aren't necessarily responsible for triathlons whiteness or, you know, kind of triathlons whiteness is a, a microcosm of the larger power systems at play in the United States, obviously. But I think Absolutely. that that was just, that was just really helpful for me to think about it in terms of where does my responsibility lie um, in stepping up and taking a more, active role right a more long-term active role um mm -hmm. in changing yeah. changing the sport yeah absolutely well and you know i think you know with that long-term active role you know what's going to be the longevity of it you know i think what's really impactful you know probably very few people are going to remember you know your time <laughs> or or your pace you know 20 years ago in a race but if you are one of the people that was the active voice in inclusion and expanding the sport and perpetuating the sport to be welcoming and inclusive that's a different conversation and that's to me starting to get into some legacy building um who who would be more proud i mean you know think about it in the converse a lot of white people who have ancestors who did some really nasty things to my ancestors, for example, are not very proud of that. They're not very proud of that legacy. But what would it mean to create this entirely new legacy where you did swing the door of inclusion and welcoming open to people, a sense of belonging, and you get to leave that not only as, you know, 
whoever is going to be holding your, your times, your finish times and so forth. But who else is going to hold this legacy of what you did to make sure that your sport continued and your sport continued for everybody, not just people who look like you. You know, I, I think of it, you know, oftentimes I think of it, especially as a parent, but, you know, I do think about, you know, how do I want to leave things better than I found them? And I want to be very aware of that. How am I leaving things better than I found them? Yes, I can talk about race all day long, but I also want to think about how am I going to leave the door open wide for folks who identify as transgender in the sport specifically, so that we don't have to worry about, you know, pink swim caps and blue swim caps, for example, or transition areas. There are so many things that I would love to be able to look back and say, I was the one that was the rabble rouser to make sure other people got to be part of our sport. And because of that, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, they're still part of the sport because of maybe that angry email, that not nice email that I sent to that race director. I'm very okay with that. And I think that's a fantastic thing to leave for your family legacy to say that I did something to make sure people felt included. I think that's a fantastic place to pause this conversation. Um, what's your legacy going to be? Is your legacy going to be nice and passive? Is your legacy going to be, I stood up, I sent a not nice email to a race director <laughs> and <laughs> I kept banging that drum, right? What do you want your legacy to be and what's important to you? And um, how do you kind of get over that? hump of niceness that mm -hmm. that simply maintains the status quo right there's no legacy Absolutely. in that yeah not at all not at all unfazed a podcast produced by live feisty media and supported by the outspoken women in triathlon summit edited and produced by the fabulous lindsay glassford email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy at dr gold speaks or at Outspoken Women in Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.